Hello, everybody. Okay, we're, we're kicking it off with the mic on this week, trying something different. How's everyone doing? Good, rock on. Well, guys, welcome to Salt Company. I am so excited to have you all here um, this evening. And for those of you who, this is your first time, welcome. Uh, we are... Yeah, a college ministry that's part of a local church here. And my name is Drake. I'm the SALT director here at SALT St. Paul. And guys, we are so excited to have you. Tonight, we're kicking off our foundation series. And basically, we want to just give you guys an idea of who we are as SALT Company. And so we're walking through four different weeks, one of them tonight being God. Who God is. And so before we kick off on that, I want to check with you guys, who in here had probably the craziest or the best meaning to your name? So whether it was you or whether it was the person you talked to, let's get a raise of hand. Who thinks that they had the coolest meaning to their name? Okay, boom. I'm I'm getting some thumbs here. What's your name? Okay, wow, that's beautiful. Okay, what's the meaning of your name? Oh, wow. Wow, that, okay, someone's trying to beat that. I don't know if you can, but I want to hear one more. What do we got? David, you don't know your name? Okay, that's lovely. Well, this is David, everybody. Well, guys, I, out of curiosity, um, I looked up my own name and, you know, all excited to see what is my name going to be. And just to give you guys a little heads up, Mine, from the Greek, uh, meaning the Greek word drakon means dragon or serpent. Um, And this name coincides with the unrelated English word drake, meaning a male duck. (laughs) So you got a little more significance to your name than myself. But guys, tonight we are going to be talking about the way that the Bible uses names. Because the Bible has a whole lot more significance than at least my parents did naming me. But if we look throughout the Bible, names are always connected to the characteristics that the person is to behold or the mission that they have. So if you look at Eve, she's the mother of all living. Or if you look at Jesus, his name is Yeshua, means God to the rescue. Like there is depth to these names. And tonight we are going to be looking at who God is. And before we dig into it, there's a quote by a guy named A.W. Tozer that says this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Literally, when you think about who God is, that is the most important thing about you. And so tonight, what we are going to do is that we're going to open the Bible and we're going to look at who does God name himself to be? Because I think that if we rightly understand the name that God gives himself, it will radically change the rest of our life. And so what is that name? It's a name that caused the psalmist in Psalm 910 to say, and those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Literally, those who just know his name put their trust in him because of how glorious his name is. And so tonight we are looking at the name that God gives himself, and that is in Exodus 3, 
verses 10 through 17. And so if any of you don't have a Bible, you'll look underneath the seats around you. Feel free to use one of those. And if you don't have one yourself, feel free to take that home with you. That is our gift to you. Or if you just want another Bible, feel free to take that home with you. That is our gift to you. But Exodus chapter three, Exodus, go to the far left of your Bible, second book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, and then chapter three. Some background about this text. If you're not familiar with the Bible, Basically, what's happening in this scene is that God's people, the Israelites, have been enslaved in Egypt for many, many years. And so God is having this conversation with Moses, and he's saying, I am going to use you to free God's people. And how he decides to do that is that he decides to lift up the waters of the Red Sea so that the people can flee on dry ground. And then when the Egyptians come running after them, he crashes the waves to protect his people. And so that's the backdrop of what this conversation is leading to. But this is God coming to Moses before any of this takes place. So start off in verse 10. It says, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, but I will be with you and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. There's some names. To a land flowing with milk and honey. And so Moses comes to God and he says, this is my name that you are to tell all these people who are enslaved and it's meant to give them a confidence that you are gonna free them. I am who I am. And at first you're like, is Is that it? Like, is that all you have to describe who you are? But as we unpack this, I think we're going to see that it is going to radically change who we are if we understand what God means by saying, I am who I am. And so tonight, the big idea that I want you to walk home with is that God is full of glory. And what does this word glory mean? I'm gonna define it as awesomeness, Um, I don't think that's a word, but we're gonna use it tonight. So God is full of awesomeness. He is full of glory for us to behold. And the first way that he's gonna show that is that he is self-existent. Okay, what does that mean? That God is self-existent is basically saying that he is the uncreated creator. 
that he himself has created all things that exist, but he himself was not created. There is no origins to his name. That he is self-sufficient. That he himself does not need anything from anyone else. It wasn't like God was in heaven lonely. and He's like, hey, I'm gonna make some people to hang out with. Or that he was bored. And he's like, I'm gonna start a project of making some planets and stars. That will give me something to do with my time. No, God didn't need anything. He was completely self-sufficient in himself. And so the reality is that since everything was created by God, in order for us to understand anything about the world, we must know God. Because since he created all things, he also created the intended meaning and the purpose of everything that exists in this world. And so for us to understand that properly, we must know who he is. A couple ways that it shows that he is self-existent is that when he says, I am who I am, he's essentially saying, there is nothing on the face of this world that could properly describe who I am because I'm greater than it all. It actually is all a glimpse of who I am. Now, I'm trying to think of how I could articulate this. And I was, I was thinking, imagine if someone went up to LeBron James and said, hey, LeBron, your jump shot reminds me a lot of Drake's. Like that would not happen. Like people will come to me and say, hey, you're trying to look more like him, but LeBron is of such greater status and skill that he would never be compared to me. And so what it is saying is that God is basically saying, I cannot find anything in this world to compare to the glory of me. Therefore, I am who I am, nothing else added, and that is to leave you in awe. Next, there's no origin to his name. So you guys, a lot of first weeks on campus, starting up a lot of new conversations. How does it usually start? Hi, my name is Drake. I am from Iowa City, Iowa. Or as you get to know someone, maybe you share with them about your parents, maybe you share with them about your family, but you share with people about the origin of who you are. But there is no description of that to who God is because he has no origin. He was before everything in this world that has existed because he brought it into existence himself. And what he is saying is that since he existed before all things, he is therefore greater than anything else in this world. And how does that help Moses? Because what, is he, what he is saying is that I am superior to Pharaoh. I am superior to any other gods that this world has because I actually existed and I created the very people who formed these gods in their minds. I existed before that. Therefore, you can trust in me that I have complete ability to accomplish what I set out to do. You can rest in me, even as big as it might be to free a people from Pharaoh because God has all power. He has all wisdom and all knowledge. So a year ago, about a year and a half, my wife and I bought a house in Iowa City. And so we spent our whole summer fixing this bad boy up. We literally got in, scraped popcorn ceilings, new paint everywhere, new carpet. And then there was a day that we started laying some hardwoods with my dad. And a couple days ago, I was explaining this to people that we were hanging out with. And I said, yeah, my dad helped me put in some floors. And then right away, my wife laughed and said, that's funny how you said that. 
And she immediately calls me out because if you know my dad, you would know he's the one that has all the skill, he has all the tools, and he has all the knowledge. The way that I help my dad is that he would mark a spot on the piece of wood of where to cut it. I would cut it, I would hand it back to him, he would put it in, he did everything else. It would be ridiculous to say my dad helped me because he did everything. And the reason I had so much confidence to even take part in doing this with him is because I knew that he had all the knowledge in the world to put these floors in. And what God is saying is that I do not need anyone. I have all wisdom. I have all power. I have all ability to accomplish what I need to accomplish. I don't even need you, Moses, but I'm asking you to take part in what I am already doing. And that gives Moses incredible confidence. Because the reality is that there is no one like him because everything was brought into existence by him. And guys, that, that idea should give us incredible confidence with whatever we tackle in life that God is ultimately the one that is working that we don't go forward in a confidence of our own abilities, but we have an amazing and incredible God that's full of awesomeness that we get to run to and he has the ability to work in our lives. This is the God that we follow. Do you believe this about God? So God also reveals to us that he is never changing. And how is this seen in the statement, I am who I am? So when God says, I am who I am, essentially what he's saying is, who I am is who I always have been and who I always will be. That there is nothing about his character, there is nothing about his will, there's nothing about his intentions that will ever change. Therefore, I am who I am. And he even uses a simpler statement of just saying, I am. There's a constancy, there's a, a faithfulness to who he is in that statement. But why is this idea so important for Moses to hear? What is Moses' response? When God gives him this call, hey, go to Pharaoh and free the people from Egypt. If we look down at verse 11, it says, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Like literally right away, he's turned it on himself and he says, who am I? There's no way I can in and of myself free these people from slavery. And what I... what it's so obvious is that doubt begins to creep into his mind. Like immediately he's like, I cannot do this. And what isn't the issue is that it's not that he has a low idea of himself. Like that is what our culture would say. Our culture would say, hey, if you have a lower idea of yourself, all you need to do is give yourself a pep talk. Like you can do it. Whatever you put your mind to, you can make it happen but he doesn't have a low view of himself because it's pretty likely that he himself wouldn't be able to free a people from one of the strongest powers in the world. And so it's not that he has a, a lower view of himself and it isn't that God himself has changed because we realize that God in his character is literally impossible to change who he is. 
But what has changed is Moses' perspective of who God is. What Moses has forgotten about is God's character, God's lordship over the universe, God's power, God's love and pursuit of his people. This is what he has forgotten about. This is what has changed in his life. And then God comes to him and says, I am the God of your fathers. Like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And if you don't know them, they're just older, older people from the past. But God came to them and they were his people. And he said, I am going to deliver you. I'm going to make promises to you that I will uphold. And Moses knows that he did those things that he promised. And so what God is saying is the same God that was with your fathers is here with you now. He's reminding them that he is serving a God that will never change and that he will hold his promise to deliver these people because he cannot go against his character or his word. It is impossible for God to go against what he says because his intentions and his heart never shift and sway like our own intentions and our own heart. Like, It's amazing that when God promises something, as certain as those words left his mouth or as certain as those promises will be fulfilled. And that is the God that we serve. It's not a part of his character. He is unable to break a promise. But guys, this this idea, this concept of God never changing, I think is radically, it's so hard for us to comprehend. Like if you look at how we even value ourselves as humans, we value ourselves by how we progress as a human. Like we're like, man, this person has grown so much. This person is so much more wise than they once were. Or this person has learned a lot. Like they had a weird phase in junior high, but they've grown up to be a much more mature person now. Like, We value ourselves by gaining more knowledge and more ability to do different things in this life. And God is sitting over here saying, there is no more amount of awesomeness that I could obtain than what I already have in and of myself. And what I've had in and of myself for all of eternity past and eternity future. There's no more ounce of knowledge that God could gain. No more sense of power that he could behold. There is no more glory that God could obtain than what he already has in and of himself. Or think about how much we shift in our words. How much we say things that we don't back up. Like there's probably things that you guys have done or said you were going to do today that you didn't end up doing. Like I think about the beginning of the semester, every year in college, I was like, this semester is gonna be different. I'm gonna get all my reading done a week in advance. I'm going to study for a test two weeks out. I'm going to be on top of things. Two weeks later, I already failed to my word. Like we even make so many more like promises to make people sure that we actually mean what we're gonna say. Like I promise I'll do it. Pinky promise? Yeah, I pinky promise I'll do it. I cross my heart. Like we have layers of things that we have to promise in order for someone to know, hey, I mean it this time. 
We have accountability partners to hold us to doing different things because we realize that we can't trust our own selves and falling through with what we say we're going to do. And maybe there's been people in here who have been incredibly hurt by a promise that was broken to you. Maybe there's someone that said that there would be something for you or they said something about you that was incredibly painful and they fell short in holding up to be who they said they were going to be. And now what you experience in your life is an incredible sense of hurt and a lack of trusting new people in your life. And some of you might have gone to a connection group for the first time this week And it is impossible for you to even think about opening up with some of the deepest parts of your heart because you are unable to trust people because they don't hold up to their words. But God, again, is over here saying, that is not who I am. Because God never shifts in his character. Therefore, he will always hold up to his promises to you. There is no way that God could ever break a promise that he gives to you. And since God is the one who is of all power, that there is no rival, there is no equal to him, he will always accomplish what he promises to you. And so we can know with certainty that God is going to follow through, that we have a God who is unlike anyone in this world because he never changes It isn't God who has changed in your life. If you're experiencing doubt, if you're experiencing worry, if you're experiencing frustration with God, I don't want to say that those are bad things. Those are things that we actually wrestle with in our humanity. But if there is doubt, it is not God who has changed in your life, but your perspective of the God that you serve. Do you know God's promises for your life. Are we a people that run to his word so often that we are actually people who know who this God is and that we are people who know what his promises are to us? Because only in his word are we going to discover what he is promising and the truths that he will hold for us. Do we know that when we experience difficulty, God says that I will walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death so you will fear no evil, for I am your shepherd? Do we know that Jesus gives a promise that no one who ever comes to me will ever thirst again, but will have everlasting life? when there's so much brokenness in this world that we become overwhelmed or there's sin in our life that we cannot defeat because we love it too much, we find confidence in Jesus's promise that says, take heart, I have overcome the world. Do you know these promises that God has for you? Because in order to walk through the difficulty that this life brings, we have to have our heart anchored in a never-changing God and his promises. The last thing that we will see tonight is that God is with us. Like I love, Moses is just real. Like who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? What is God's response? He doesn't even address who Moses is. He just says, but I'm with you. Like 
Do you know this God who is walking with you? Do you know this God who desires to deliver you from this part of your life is with you in this moment? A couple months back, I was, uh, my wife and I were babysitting our nephews, um, which is a learning experience, but we had them stay the night and I was putting Theo down to bed. And dude does not like the dark. And so I was trying to talk him in to things are gonna be okay, Theo. But what you don't say to a little kid is, it's time for bed, go to bed. That does not help any of his fears, not one bit. And so what I said was a series of questions. I said, Theo, do you trust me? And of course, at first he was denying it because he didn't wanna go to bed yet, but then eventually he said yes. And I said, well, Theo, I'm going to be right outside this door. And so if I hear anything, I will be here for you, went to bed. He had to know that I was there with him in order to feel the comfort of being in the dark. And what God is saying is that he is with Moses. Do you realize that God is with you in every single situation of your life? Do you realize that you can experience peace because God is with you in whatever you're going through But the issue is not with God, it's that we don't wanna walk with him. Because God designed this world in such a way that we would walk with him, that we would experience life with him. But then we said, I think I know best. I think I know the better way to live. I think I know what is actually better for my life. And so instead of God sitting on the throne, we tried to take that spot to decide what is best for us. And there's a quote from A.W. Tozer again that I felt like was so, so good for this text. He says, sin has many manifestations, but its essence is one. A moral being created to worship before the throne of God sits on the throne of God of his own throne of his own selfhood and from that elevated posture declares I am we decided that God wasn't the one who should be sitting on the throne but I am but we are and guys when we realize how much we have rebelled against God it makes God far more beautiful Because what we see is that he remained constant in his pursuit of us, even though we ran away from him. That he did not need us, but he rather wanted us to experience the fullest extent of joy by being brought in relationship with him. And so like God planned to free the Israelites from the slavery of Egypt, God had a better plan to free all of humanity from the slavery of Satan's sin and death. And it wasn't through glamorous water-built walls of walking through dry ground, but it was through sending his son to walk up Calvary Hill after being brutally beaten, carrying his own cross that he would eventually be crucified on. And while he was on that cross, he would experience separation from his, God, from his father's love for the first time in all of eternity but instead experience the full wrath of his father. Like guys, this is, this is just crazy to me. In the garden of Gethsemane, before the day before Jesus was crucified, he was literally so anxious that his blood capillaries burst and it caused blood to come out of his sweat glands. 
And he wasn't filled with anxiety because of the beatings and the physical pain that he would have. He was filled with anxiety because he did not want to be separated from his father. But yet he chose to do that so that we who deserved that death, so that we who deserved that penalty could experience life with him and so that we could be with God again. God came down to this earth to be with us and it led him to dying on a cross on our behalf. And the joy is that when he experienced the penalty that we, des- we deserved, we got the life that he earned in and of himself. All because he wants us to experience that glory. He wants us to experience his awesomeness that he beholds. He wants us to have a taste of it. So he made a way for us to be with him again. Guys, God declares, I am who I am. And if we truly understand that, if we meditate on that idea, it will radically change everything about our life. Because what will begin to happen is that we will see that this life is not about living for our own selves, but we are to submit ourselves to him. That we are to live for his glory And we will see that God is currently on a mission that he will accomplish to change the world. And he is using average, everyday people like everyone in this room, including myself, to do extraordinary things to accomplish that mission. Like God doesn't need us to change the lives of people on campuses across St. Paul, but he's saying, do you wanna be a part of that? Do you want to join me in sharing about my glory so that people's eternity would be changed? So that people would experience the glory of God, that they'd be brought into a community of people that celebrate the glory of God. Guys, that is the amazing God that we serve that is full of glory and he is inviting us in and his mission that he will accomplish to change the world. He is full of glory and now we get to partake in that and now we get to celebrate him in song because he is worthy of all our praise. Let's pray. Jesus, we, we come before you tonight as people who are needy of you. God, for so many reasons, we are needy of you because We are broken. I am broken. God, there's even parts of my heart that, God, as I'm even on this stage, I want, I wonder what people might even think about me. There's grossness in my heart even now. But God, you saw that brokenness in all of our hearts and you said, I'm going to die on a cross so that they might be brought in. God, you wired us as people to enjoy your glory and that that would be the fullest extent of our joy. And we ran from that. But yet, God, you decided to draw us back in so that we could experience the joy that we were designed to enjoy. And so, God, that is how glorious you are. No matter where we have been this week, no matter what we might have done, whether we've messed up or we've been walking with you, God, we get to celebrate you in song because you deserve it. You deserve the praise. You deserve the glory. So God, help us to be a people that would live completely for your glory and we would live to tell other peoples about your glory.